Do the trashy pulp novels of the world have anything to offer? Our bestseller is all they're cracked up to be. Here at Terrible Book Club, we explore whether you really can judge a book by its cover or its ridiculous synopsis. You ever passed a book and thought, ugh, who's reading this? We probably are. Hello and welcome to episode 156 of the Terrible Book Club. I'm Chris and this is Mary. What is up? Hi there, Mary. So as you can tell, Terrible Book Club listeners, we don't have Paris on hand. She's just taking an extra long break. Um, It's a little bit of a break, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we were on a two-month break since recording last time. Of course, none of the listeners noticed because we had a backlog to release there. But this is going to be the first episode back um, from our lengthy recording break here. And that's why we have Mary on hand here to discuss with us the novelization of the movie E.T. the Extraterrestrial. In his adventure on Earth, which is in, there's three different fonts in one title, which I think is always a good sign. Always a good sign. Can you remind us who wrote this book, Mary? Oh boy. His name is William Kotzwinkel. And I mean, apparently quality this is name. a quality name. He's not just some ghostwriter. Apparently, Steven Spielberg was actually quite the fan of Kotzwinkel and thought of him for the novelization and brought him to the studio to get a sneak secret peek at the top secret E.T. puppet. So he is very well described in this book, which is not always the case with alien book novelizations. <laughs> get to that true. later. <laughs> That's very true. Okay, well, why don't I explain what we do here? If this is your first time listening to this show, what we do here at the Terrible Book Club is read books that we assume will be bad based on their cover, title, summary, or some combination of the three. Sometimes, like today, we read books that our patrons, listeners, or friends, like Mary here, recommends that we read. So we do the opposite of what most people in a bookstore do or while they're browsing the internet or something like that usually the experiment results in a disappointing read but once in a while we end up liking the book did i recommend this is that why this is happening i I don't remember i'm so sorry if that's the case it was like a while ago that you recommended this to us and we finally got it right i I believe that's what happened i could be rewriting history don't let me gaslight you mary if if you insist that that didn't happen possible um because spoiler alert i actually do kind of like this book okay well, I mean, usually Paris is the one that keeps track of things real good around here. So it's a well, little bit of seat of the pants episode. Busy here. and important. And I exactly. am I'm idle not. and idle and unimportant. So we are on a great <laughs> yes. start, I think. It's not like I just ran in here from my work day <laughs> to record this TBC episode. Okay. Anyway, down to the content warnings. In addition to our usual barnyard language, which might be tamed with Mary here, but we'll see. I'm a sweary guy. <laughs> um, today's episode includes discussion or mention of uh, like 
government abductions and perhaps medical torture and also a little like maybe a little light well, bit of milf hunting yeah a little voyeurism <laughs> just a tad Oof. yeah just just a touch of that there okay so mary i this is a hard copy of the book that i gave to you <laughs> yep so i would right. like for you to read the summary on the back of the book here for us oh you bet all right <clears throat> What do you do when you're lost, millions of miles from home, surrounded by frightening creatures? You do what the old botanist did when he was accidentally left behind on Earth. First, you find a friend. Filmmaker Steven Spielberg and novelist William Kotzwinkel, oh, I'm sorry, those are in uh, all caps, so filmmaker Steven Spielberg and Whoa. novelist William Kotzwinkel Whoa. together create a magical story about two unforgettable friends, a gentle being from another world who is stranded on Earth, hunted, afraid, and alone, and a 10-year-old boy who finds him and makes him home. Ta sorry, takes him home. He's going to make him home, Mary. <laughs> I've only had half a porter. I don't know why I did that. He hollows out E.T. in the novelization and lives inside. No. Uh, <laughs> it kind of actually does sound like in the middle of that summary as if the friend that E.T. made was Steven Spielberg. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to describe the back of this book, but basically the first two sentences are like bolded as if they are their own thing. And then the rest, starting with film, filmmaker Steven Spielberg, is like not bolded <laughs> mm -hmm, there's mm -hmm, a lot mm -hmm. of fonts going on in this cover I'll just put that's that how out you there. know you've had a quality production on on the book there absolutely when you get lots of fonts when they got absolutely. room for lots of fonts this this book did sell three million copies in its first three years so wow yeah that's a lot that's quite something but this was before everybody had a vcr so film novelizations were like a way to watch the movie again at your house <laughs> it's pretty much was the only way and and it came i mean Good okay point. so sorry I, I did a little bit of digging because i can't help myself i'm a, I'm a giant please, giant nerd please present everything that you have <laughs> dug up and just throw so, it at me randomly feel here's free some, to here's some random background info for you apparently before there were film novelizations there were theater novelizations dating all the way back to the earliest one i could find mention of um some friend of shakespeare novelized Pericles Prince of Tyre which is a play that might be by Shakespeare might be like half by Shakespeare we're not really sure anyway he novelized it and this is when like printing presses were like not you know not everywhere and not super common so that's kind of impressive but then like skipping forward probably the next most famous novelization of a play is Peter Pan because that was a play first oh and then was later I didn't a book. I know that, that that was a play at all. Yeah, it, he wrote, it was actually, I think it was like a brief mention of Peter Pan and a short story or a poem or something. And then he wrote the play and then the novel came out. And that's the version most of us are familiar with because the novel is what got made into the movies. So Peter Pan is like a third hand, like the version that I saw that was animated is like a third hand retelling. Yeah, kind of. Um, Wow, that's impressive. I wonder yeah. if they had the the alligator in the original version. Oh yeah, that that, that's all part. the stuff is there. Yeah, the alligator, Captain Hook, all that stuff. I mean, it, they probably did use the play as source material, but then maybe stuff from the book as well. I'm not actually sure. I just I thought that was fun because that's like one of those things that's in the back of my mind. Like I knew that, <laughs> but I, but sometimes I forget, <laughs> and then every time I think about it again, I'm like, oh yeah, that was a play first. Anyway, that's a thing I know. Oh, yeah. that's a fact in there. Cool. But then, of course, you had movies come along and movie novelizations were 
um, kind of right from the very beginning, a way for people to re-experience the movie. And they got real popular in like the 70s and 80s, especially after Star Wars came out. So they Mm. had a lot of merchandising for Star Wars to an unprecedented degree that had never really happened before. And so there were books, action figures, T-shirts, breakfast cereal, like everything. And they made so much money that like everybody started doing movie novelizations. And they do it, even now they do do movie novelizations not for every movie, but like kind of random movies. Like I have a novelization of Crimson Peak for some reason. The Guillermo del Toro movie. Did you movie know that, that we read out. that? <laughs> Did on you? This I'm show, so sorry. That it wasn't. And there good. is it an episode that you can listen to of <laughs> us will. reading Crimson Peak. I'll, I'll listen to that episode instead of finishing the book because it is it's it's not good. But there's also novelizations of um, there's also novelizations of um, comic books. Like the Death of Superman has a novelization that like whole comic book arc. They did a novelization mm. version, which I actually I've read that, but I haven't read the comic book. <laughs> so but I'm all over the place. Ground for TBC, although that's that's a pretty good comic arc. So that's probably not. It is. It's actually really not. It's not a terrible book. Um, it, it's. But the thing with novelizations, as I'm sure everyone out there is totally aware, they're not super well regarded. Like they're not regarded as real literature, which is probably fair. But I was reading some, it's, it is, it's fair, it's, it's, you know, it's an adaptation of a movie, something that was meant to be visual and cinematic, and now it's just words on a page. But that doesn't mean that they don't have no artistic value. I mean, some of them probably do, but, like, writers spend a lot of time on this sort of thing. It can often take longer to write a book than it can to shoot a movie. So... Just saying. That's a little bit about Yeah, I mean, we'll <laughs> certainly get into some things about novelizations here. There's a couple of little setup things I want to get to before we start talking about the book proper here. Let's do it. Um, we usually like to kind of give the listeners a little bit of a characters and setting once over so they know some of the characters we'll be talking about here and a summary of the general story. That's not just the back of the book summary, but just like generally what happens in the book so they're not completely lost. Since this is a pretty popular movie from way (laughs) back when, I don't think I have to go too much in depth here. You can just Wikipedia this shit, honestly, but just in case you haven't seen E.T. And you know what? We're millennials here, Mary, so we have to acknowledge the existence of people younger than us that never would have seen this and will be like, what are you talking about here? Okay, so the main cast here is uh, of you have the main cast of characters is you've got Elliot is sort of our in the movie. He's the main protagonist in the Mm -hmm. book here. He's sort of secondary to E.T. himself. Um, E.T. is called that because it's short for extraterrestrial, which I mean, I guess it's kind of like lame to be called that. You know, if I if I showed up on another planet and people just called me human all the time or like, I guess, E.T. as well, because I would be extra. Yeah, you would be. be, That's not my name, dude. And we actually never learn his real name. Um, No, even in the sequel, as far as I could tell, which we can. I'll tell you about later. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, he's just E.T. here. Elliot is sort of the main boy that he interacts with. There's his Elliot's sister, Gertie, played by Drew Barrymore in the original movie. Oh, baby Drew Barrymore. Yeah, baby Barrymore. Um, Then we've got Elliot's brother, Michael, who is just, you know, kind of here to be a dick a lot of the time. It's also in the movie. Then you've got Mary, who is Elliot's mom, who is very mm-hmm. important in this novelization for <laughs> a reason I hinted at earlier. Yeah. Um, and then we've got, you know, some of Elliot's friends and side characters. There's government agents popping up trying to, you know, capture an alien 
And that's yep. generally it for the character. Oh, there's Harvey the dog. Harvey the dog is important. Harvey the dog. Well. He's very important. I was I would actually found him endearing in this novelization. Yes. <laughs> okay, and now just a little summary of what happens in the story. I'm gonna be real quick and dirty about this. Um, <laughs> Ichi crash. Uh, he's he's left behind by yes. his uh, alien buddies because they're trying to escape. They they're set they set down because they're botanists and they just want to catalog plant and I guess some animal life here and there, but mostly plant mm -hmm. life. E.T. decides to run and look in a house window because he's curious and just kind of misses the, the, the taxi the on boat. the way home. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so he's left behind and he decides to try to approach the humans in the house that he was peering in anyway. Um, Elliot finds him and sort of takes him in, hides him in a closet. Eventually, Elliot's sister and brother find out they're still hiding the thing from their mom and friends for a bit. Um, government agents basically we're sniffing around anyway and are slowly closing in on E.T. Eventually um, Elliot and Gertie and Michael and all their pals get to know E.T. a little bit better. They realize he's trying to get home. They try to help him assemble basically a, a telephone so he can phone home. Basically mm -hmm. a fancy satellite dish since E.T. can like magically take apart any piece of technology despite it being <laughs> alien technology to him uses a speaking spell to basically send <laughs> messages back into space, which is some really impressive work, I gotta say. I didn't realize yep. speaking spells could shoot messages out into oh, the very powerful. stratosphere. Um, and, event, you know, E.T. gets really obsessed with Elliot's mom, in a way. The government agents try to kidnap him, and in a last-minute gambit, Elliot and his friends help E.T. escape and shoot off back into space with his alien pals who came back to pick him up because of the speak and spell telephone. The that's right. end. The, the that's end. the general yep. overview. If you want more detail, watch the fucking movie. I don't, I'm not here to <laughs> tell you every single detail. Yeah, well... All right. You won't get a lot from the movie if you were curious about the book, if that makes sense. Because like you said, the book is pretty much entirely from E.T.'s perspective and his inner monologue, which is not something we get in the movie at all. Um, yeah, and I think that's a good segue into the first kind of half of most TBC episodes. We like to start with the things that were good, the things that we enjoyed about this book. And I do have to say, I can understand why uh, Spielberg might have been a fan of this author here because it's not necessary like sentence to <laughs> sentence it's fine right like there's nothing yeah. terrible necessarily about no not at all in fact quite e. the opposite yeah how et's inner monologue is done um yeah. he is like sort of a gentle botanist soul out here just to like check out plants <laughs> and elliot's mom too which is that's for things that were bad maybe yeah, maybe we'll, bad we'll get, later on we'll, 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 yeah, get, to we'll that. get to that <laughs> Yeah, I was actually, I had this section kind of earmarked just to give people an example of this guy's writing, which is, Please, I just feel us. like it's weirdly, weirdly good for a book that is not meant to be anything more than a cash grab. But so this is describing the interior of E.T.'s ship. <clears throat> Up the hatchway they went and into the lovely ornaments interior pastel glow. They moved unconcernedly through its pulsing corridors of technological wonders and into the central wonder of the ship, a gigantic inner cathedral of Earth's foliage. This immense greenhouse was the core of the ship, its purpose, its specialty. Here were lotus flowers from the Hindu lagoon, ferns from the floor of Africa, tiny berries from Tibet, 
blackberry bushes from a backcountry American road. Here, in fact, was one of everything on earth, or nearly everything, for the job was not yet done. It's like, that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I get a sense of, like, what the interior of the craft looks like and what it's mm -hmm. designed for, what it's basically just a giant intergalactic greenhouse. Yeah, yeah. And all his buddies are botanists. And I think there's... Yeah. There's other parts of the ship that doesn't really get into in this book, but like th that's just one part of the ship. And when they go back to E.T.'s planet, this is something that happens in the sequel. The whole planet is just filled with plants from other planets. So the whole planet is like, uh, what do you call it? Like an heirloom garden where you're trying to preserve <laughs> things. Basically, it's like the heirloom Must, garden that's of an the eco, universe. E yeah. That's an ecological nightmare. Like I honestly agree, trying to balance but... <laughs> all of the, the, the plants from different worlds. Yeah, yeah. Realistically, not really a thing, but in the in the book universe, it's quite beautiful. But anyway, I mean, maybe that's just that that alien species specialty is just like we're real big plant nerds. They're big um, plant nerds. Yep. And I think that's a nice kind of dovetail into like the main thing that I enjoyed about this novelization is something you said before is that we it's not just retelling the movie from the same perspective. We get yep. something extra out of it. So even if you did watch the movie, there's something more to pull from here, which is E.T.'s perspective and what's going on in his mind. Because in the movie, largely, you're not getting anything from him except his like, eh, 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 yeah. like that from him. So. Yeah, waddling around, pointing at things. Um, he becomes much more eloquent in the book than he ever achieves in the movie. Um He's able to speak in somewhat complete sentences in the book and and very eloquently telepathically, which is not really conveyed in the movie. Um, yeah, so I liked that because at least in the book, focusing on his inner voice and his what he's thinking is way more charming than focusing on what other people are thinking and feeling because, spoiler alert, everybody in this book is depressed. Every single <laughs> yeah. person. Elliot's it's depressed. Heavy. Mary is extremely depressed um, and sexually frustrated. And I think the only yeah. one that doesn't, <laughs> even the dog's depressed. The only one that seems like they're at all like having a nice time in life is the is Gertie, and that's just because she's five and doesn't know better yet. She'll she'll get there. <laughs> she hasn't been brought down by the this weight of single motherhood, like family. her mother. We like that. Oh we do God, get that... a little bit more of Mary's point of view too, and it seems we like do. I, you know, I apologize for being crass here, but it seems like a lot of Mary's characters, she just wants that good D. Like, she, yep, absolutely. It, well, and she's also she's worried about being a bad mother, and she's worried about how none of the kids listen to her or respect her, and she's just kind of given up on life. The only problem with how Mary is written is the fact that it's written by a man and he has uh -huh. no idea what he is talking about. And so she is obsessed with um, with binge eating and she's also feels deep shame for wanting to eat bread with jelly on it and this whole thing. And it's, Heavens, it's not bread with jelly. Yeah, woof. It's just uh, <laughs> it's not great, but it <laughs> it does lead to a very fun exchange like this. Um, this is something that she's thinking to herself all i need is for about 10 minutes at the office and maybe a little later in heavy traffic she swung her feet off the bed in a firm resolution to face the evening squarely without any anxiety symptoms but where was romance where was the exciting male in her life he was waddling down the fire road <laughs> 
So, like, oh, literally, like, the is so where much. is the exciting male in her life is just, yep. like, so on-the-nose male gaze way oh, of absolutely. writing. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But look, he I, tried. I burst out he laughing. He tried. Yeah. Like, I, I'm going to give, this is written in the early 80s, obviously, uh-huh. when the movie came out. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, and, like, he tried. He did. And I also like the like the very obvious just drawing the line from like she's thinking about a dude. Here comes a stubby Here comes alien. E. Oh, yeah. so hot. Like a sentient turd. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's a polarizing movie. I don't know about about your your age group or whatever, but I find that people that are around my age kind of either super love it or super hate it. Um and when I was a kid, I super loved it. And then it kind of faded into indifference, but yeah, I, I loved it. Yeah, it's like I I loved it. I thought it was great. It was one of my favorite movies as a kid. Um, and then when it's I got older, friends with I'm an like, alien. Like, what yeah. kid wouldn't want to be friends with an alien, right? It's just and like yeah, a... he could have been cuter, but <laughs> sure. But like, that's part of the charm is that he's kind of gross in a way, and like that's. Also, yeah. sort of some of the charming aspect of this book, too, is that Elliot and E.T. and also all the other kids are kind of getting friendly with this, like, horrendous creature. So there's exactly. a little bit of this, like, oh, well, we can learn to be kind no matter how someone looks sort of aspect to it. Or yeah. if they come from a completely different planet. Yeah, I'd say another good thing is that Elliot and the and the other kids, to a lesser extent, go through a sort of um, character arc, character development, which isn't really clear in the movie either. Um, in the movie, they're kind of like, oh, we're kids and we're cute and we're going to help an alien in the end. Um, in the book, it's made pretty clear that all these kids are, in their own words, twerps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they think they know they're twerps. That's part of why they're depressed. Is they're yep. like, God, I'm just so twerpy all the time. Yeah, they're playing and D&D all the time in this book, D- which I don't know if that was happening in the movie. I forget if that was a thing in the movie. I think it was. That was a thing in the movie. But it's more like they're just not, they're not kind. They're not empathetic. They're not good kids. They're just, they're normal kids. They're <laughs> yeah. just normal, self-centered little twerps, basically. And then, and as Elliot kind of has some self-awareness of this, but he, you know, no desire to change it until he meets E.T., and E.T. kind of teaches him how to be empathetic to, you know, a pile of talking mud. And therefore, he is not a twerp anymore. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah, and like when they help E.T. escape, but... they're like learning how to do, except that one nerdy little shit that like basically blackmails Elliot and E.T. with like, you, yeah, you show me that kid. He does the right thing in the end. It's so funny. So yes. like, the, like the government agents are like chasing them. And they're getting away on their bicycles. And the little nerd, Lance, is like, I know where they're going. And the mom tries to, like, muffle him so that he won't say it. And he's like, they're going to the other side of the lake, which is not where they're going. Mm-hmm. So the government's all guys all run to the other side of the lake. And he's like, I'm being a nerd, but I'm not stupid. <laughs> and then he leads Mary to where they're actually going. So, like, even the nerd gets, like, a yes. little tiny bit of character development little arc there. The funny thing is, this whole time at least until the very end, E.T. doesn't actually like these kids all that much. No, he's like kind of okay with Elliot because Elliot's like trying to help him a little bit, but yeah. he's mostly annoyed and just kind of wants, you know, he's trying to communicate with them and like, I need this, give yeah. me the speak and spell, give me some food. Right. God damn it, I'm so hungry. He says Elliot is um, dumber than a cucumber <laughs> and it's actually not even an insult. It's just a fact because E.T., yeah. e. and this is also something not in the movie, uh, can talk to plants. And it turns out that plants are very gossipy and extremely catty. Yes. Like that, <laughs> I, that, I find that a little bit charming. It's a weird detail to add, but like, why not if it wasn't in the movie? And I guess, yep. you know, 
Plants have an inner life too. We should respect them. Well, the not only that, the but they no they notice the lives of the humans around them. Like he's talking to the green beans in the garden, and he's like, "Where's the dad?" And the dad's like, "Ooh, he ran off with the secretary or whatever." And it's yeah. like, "Ooh, green beans spilling the tea." Like, <laughs> what more. the hell? You should actually How hear do you know what the that, tea green beans? The tea leaves themselves are the most gossipy bitches out there. Oh my there, god, they know tell everything. <laughs> they're in, they're because they're all over the place. Everyone's having some tea. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. But, I guess you know, if he... I was a plant, I what better do I have to do instead of just like literally perceive what's around me and let the other plants know what's up in our plant <laughs> gossip network? You know, there's so many weird details in this book um, that I feel like we'll forget some. So maybe just I maybe I just recommend going and reading it. But another weird detail is that ET is 10 million years old. That you yeah. didn't know that. <laughs> I, that, seems, that one seemed really unnecessary to me, where it's like, wait, so he's just basically immortal? That, yeah, 10 million that, years That old. helps nothing. Maybe it's like E.T.'s planet years, and those years like are really quick because the planet orbits the sun like maybe. all the time, like maybe. constantly. Could, yeah, I, I could be. I don't think so, though. I think he's just 10 million <laughs> years old. Yeah, that's, um, I also don't think that, his... that was taken into account. Yeah, and his telepathy can reach out to basically, basically God, which you think he calls the captain, mm -hmm. um, and you know the universal, you know, mind is something that he can like talk to. So you know that's cool, I guess. <laughs> he, he can talk to a lot of people: humans, God, humans, plants, God, yeah, green beans. Not really the beans. dog, though. No, he. Well, I, I don't know if he can't talk to the dog or if he's just not listening because it's a dog. <laughs> That's but true. Harvey has a very extensive inner monologue, mostly involving wanting to eat things um, yeah. and also getting really freaked out every time he's telepathically linked to E.T. because he sees the cosmic bone and it like freaks him out. <laughs> it's like, this is too much. Yeah, I do, too much. I, I can't handle <laughs> can't handle the cosmic bone. Harvey's also okay. like a little bit bitey. Like he's not really he's bite a little them, bitey. He, he just wants to bite things generally. And he holds himself back. So there's a dog with restraint. Which mm -hmm. is admirable for a dog, I have to say. Yep, yep. I mean, I, among Mary's many aliens as a mother and ex-wife, she also is not training her dog very well. So, so Harvey Sorry, just knows how to be generally kind of a decent dog. I wouldn't say an outright <laughs> good dog all the time, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, I guess another thing I liked was, um, and this is just like fun behind-the-scenes stuff. Apparently, in the book. Uh, E.T. is fed M&M's by Elliot um, mm -hmm. and lured into the house with M&M's, which he compares to, like, the ambrosia of the gods. And he is like, okay, I totally understand humanity now. Thousands of years of evolution has led to the M&M. Like, got it. Perfect. <laughs> Good job, humanity. I mean, I agree, to be yeah, honest Yeah, I mean, they're you. great. Uh, but if in there's the movie... nothing else for humanity, it's food. That is, it's like, food. The, it's candy, our, our greatest thing. But uh, I don't know if you remember, but in the movie, it is Reese's Pieces. I do remember that, that it, it is Reese's so, Pieces. And there's a reason behind that. Um, apparently, Eminem, whoever was in charge of their marketing, they Mr. were M. at, yeah, Mr. M, they asked, uh, they asked these, the Eminem guys, like, hey, you want to sponsor this movie or however it worked back in the day? And they took one look at E.T. and they're like, nah, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> Not that thing. Mm -mm, no, we're good. We prefer so then, to have our live sentient candy shelled <laughs> beings that are, you know, that's their own kind yeah. of horror. We can't add to that with an extraterrestrial on top. Yeah. So uh, they they approached uh, Hershey's um, and 
the guy who was in charge of marketing for Hershey's and Reese's Pieces was like, it took some convincing, but he agreed to it. And uh, Reese's Pieces sales went up 65% during the run of the movie. They made a real mountain out of it. Um, and it Mr. was everywhere. Was like, God damn it. <laughs> E.T.'s favorite candy. It was on posters and everything. And I, I just thought that that was really, really funny because he was working, you know, the Potswinkle was working from the original script. Um, and a glimpse of the E.T. puppet. That's basically all the visual information he had is what was in the script and the puppet. And uh, he, he ran with it. So even Elliot is the Elliot described in the book doesn't look like the kid they cast in the movie. That doesn't really yeah. matter, but it doesn't. But yeah. little white kid doesn't. <laughs> they're, all <the> same. <laughs> they're all interchangeable, whatever. But in the book, he has glasses. And it's like, OK, whatever. Um, I just thought that was that was. That was funny because yeah, it fascinating. E.T. tried to match Star Wars in terms of merchandising. So E.T. cereal, E.T. posters, E.T. apparel, everything E.T. We didn't really get that level of expanded universe that Star Wars spooled off into, though. No, no. <laughs> they, they tried. They kind of tried. This is a, a segue into there was a sequel to the to specifically to the book um that sanctioned by steven spielberg and written by Cotswinkle again and it's called the green planet and it's a uh, thumbnail sketches et goes home and he misses earth and he keeps sending out telepathic signals to elliot who's having <laughs> like, his I first crush those m&ms and those hot moms well in the gotta... in the sequel it's reese's they changed it <laughs> <laughs> they retroactively changed it to back to reese's cool which is really funny um anyway and so he tries to and et tries to get back to earth but everyone on his planet is like no you're a mess stay here (laughs) (laughs) guys paraphrasing you just don't know (laughs) about these reese's pieces i gotta bring them back for you and then also i'm gonna take a picture of that mom let me tell you boys (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah anyway so So, yeah we'll, we'll get into the mom when we get into the to the bad stuff but i think um the only other thing I had on my list in terms of some fun stuff was, so this book was, uh, or sorry, the screenplay was written by a woman who at the time was Harrison Ford's wife. And oh. there's a scene in the, you know, the scene in the movie where Elliot, um, you know, kind of second gets second degree high by E.T. Mm-hmm. drinking all that beer. Yep. And he, like, yeah. So then he gets pulled into the principal's office and this was a scene that was cut from the movie but the the principal like gives him this lecture and then elliot starts floating around because et is still drunk and can like move things with his mind from miles away who knows doesn't matter makes sense totally Um, makes sense to me (laughs) so the principal sees him floating around and is like yeah i'm done like you can leave (laughs) and then um (laughs) turns out i don't have to discipline you if this is we're good we're good and then reaches into his drawer and grabs some aspirin Apparently, there's an earlier edition of this book that we didn't read, where the principal has a drawer full of um, contraband drugs taken from the students at this presumably middle school. Okay. And he reaches into the drawer and takes a handful of quaaludes. <laughs> That's pretty heavy shit for a right? middle school in suburbia. Like, I, you know, anyway. say what you will about, like, what middle schoolers get up to. I'm That's certain in my middle school there was perhaps some hard drugs happening here and there. But quaaludes in the quaaludes. 80s. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> so suburbia. That, sorry, that was a tangent. Look, I've, I've done a lot of research. I don't know why. I can tell. I appreciate that. You're bringing like much, said, not busy much or to important. this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but so the other thing was that they did film this scene. And the principal was played by Harrison Ford because he oh, had good. worked with Steven Spielberg on Raiders of the Lost Ark previously and was the husband of the screenwriter. 
Um, and this scene did not make it into the movie, but you can find a fuzzy version of it on YouTube and you can't really see anyone's faces, but you're like, yep, that's Harrison Ford. I recognize that voice <laughs> lecturing this kid who's now floating by the ceiling. <laughs> I do really just want to watch it so I can see the bit of like Harrison Ford just like dejectedly reaching into the contraband, <laughs> the drug, contraband drug drawer. Yeah, I don't know if they, they filmed that part, but yeah, they you can see it on YouTube. It's very weird. <laughs> okay. You got any more fun facts for us all about E.T. and the expanded <laughs> E.T. universe, the E.E.U., E.T.E.U.? Um, basically, just the, the rest of it is just that the way E.T. looks is probably the most controversial part of the movie in terms of people's memory of it. They're like, it's a perfectly fine, sweet Spielberg movie. It's like classic Spielberg. But this Muppet is just disgusting. Like, in hindsight, he's just the ugliest possible alien. There's nothing cute about him except maybe his Muppet eyes. And the he rest always, of I remember him as kind of, like, a little bit wet at all times. Yes. So... His planet is like kind of swampy, and so his physique is more suited to the needs of his planet. Like he's got those paddly feet, uh-huh. and they are like for like paddling around in his swamp ass planet. <laughs> <laughs> wow, truly a cursed area of just nonstop swass. Yeah, and so in the book, there's many fun descriptions of what he looks like: um, misshapen heads, drooping arms, and roly poly sawed off torsos. This is a children's I don't know how book. Sawed off works <laughs> in that sentence. To be honest, I don't. With you. I don't know either. Naturally distended stomach, hobgoblinish, bulbous eyes, nose like a bashed-in Brussels sprout, body like overgrown prickly pear. <laughs> Those are the worst lyrics to a sexy song that I've ever heard. <laughs> Imagine that, like Nicki Minaj joint. Yeah, I knew what's really sad is by the end of the book, and we can, I guess, transition into you know what maybe was kind of bad about this book, which is this specific thing. Um, he starts to feel like humans are the beautiful ones and he starts to feel ugly, which I'm like, that is so sad. It really is. There's a lot of little body dysmorphia happening there. Absolutely. But, but this, but he this starts, is indeed yeah, a fantastic He starts fantastic to feel transition. that way because he is sexually attracted to Elliot's mom and it's a big plot point in the book. It's like, like the plot point. <laughs> in the book is that he's really hot for Elliot's mom. Oh, and instantly. So I'm like, in my fuzzy memory of having read this book um, many, many years ago, I'm like, oh, maybe I, I remember him being hot for the mom, but maybe he's like drawn to her energy or like no. he, he feels motherliness from her. Nope. He's hot for her body. Second he lays <laughs> eyes on her, he's like, who is this ravishing creature that I am sexually attracted to, even though I, why would he be? Why would he right, be? So it doesn't that- make that's that is the quintessential point of like this being written by a a dude in the 80s is like yeah you you're so anthropocentric and you're in like male centric in your own mind that you think that human women transcend beauty standards (laughs) across the fucking cosmos she is the willow creature a wrinkly wet turd creature from a swamp (laughs) planet would also presumably is attracted to other wrinkly wet turds i mean one would assume you would think that that would be the case, but no, apparently the, the human female form is so divine that, and like, you know, I, I'm into it too. I'm a straight guy, but like, God, <laughs> you, everyone, you just got to chill. I've We've had too many pieces of art and like works that are just about like, wow, 
ladies sure look good and like mm-hmm. i get it but we i think we've all said enough about it at this point there are other things to talk about consider it's the a- reese's pieces perhaps <laughs> can we talk about how that is Those also apparently inter- intergalactically good well, it also explains why E.T. is so into Halloween, because you go house to house getting divine ambrosial candy. Mm-hmm. Human beings, highest creation. Makes perfect yeah. sense. Halloween is awesome. <laughs> Back on the mom stuff. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> like, he wants to watch her in the shower. Yeah. But, it's... <laughs> he's, but he's prevented from doing so by the machinations of Harvey the dog. <laughs> I guess good dog, good boy, good I suppose, dog. Harvey, who like oh, recognizes boy. that there's a predator in a midst and he's like, I'm not, this is this is the being that takes care of me and feeds me. You will mm-hmm. not perv on her, yeah. my good alien turd friend. Yeah. But it's just like the way the parallels are drawn, where like that, that scene you described before where it's like, she needs a good man in her life. And the next line is like, he was waddling down, waddling the, down the, the fire road. And they, you know, they never in the book really meet. I can't remember if they have any kind of moment in the movie. Um, I mean, I know she's doesn't he there. walk into her bedroom like once or twice? He does. And she he just he doesn't watches, notice watches her sleeping. It's like it's gross. But like they they have this whole big buildup, and they never have any moment of actual communication. So like he, you know, in the scariest scene in the movie, if you recall, um, she sees ET. With Elliot, they're both sick, they're both dying. She grabs the kids and tries to run away, because as one would when there was a sentient turd in your in your shower. Uh-huh. Um, and then when she opens the front door and there's a government guy out there in a full like spacesuit, um, PPE, and he and they're like uh plastic wrapping their house. Cause you know, cause they're they're honing in, they're gonna capture ET. Um, and they, and she tries to go to another door and then opens that. And there's another guy there who's all like in a big helmet and, and PPE. Mm-hmm. It's like, and it's in the book that or in the movie. That's the scariest part. Absolutely. So there's that. Then E.T. and Elliot are dying. Um, E.T. dies, but then comes back to life, whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Elliot and him escape and E.T. goes on the ship. So he never has a moment with Elliot's mom to be like, Hey, sup? Uh, can I have <laughs> your number? Actually, I would like to phone to this home. Sorry about uh, uh, using your son. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, perhaps like, he needs a dad, and I'm here from I'm across here. space and time. I'd be a good dad and a great lover, maybe. I like plants. How do you, do you guys you like do flowers? it? <laughs> I have got many in my ship. Would you like to come aboard, perhaps? I have Fine, a glowing willowy <laughs> human. But yeah, the, the fact that they build this this whole thing up um, and that there's no resolution to it, it just makes the whole thing very creepy and weird. And they take it sure, way too you, far. The, there's the actual creepiest part, which I don't th- I don't know if you remember here, but the fact that Elliot's mom has dreams oh, about yeah. encountering an ET like being. Yeah, they're like dancing in a gazebo or something. <laughs> <laughs> Romantic and- dreams. Yeah, and she's like, she wakes up confused and everything. So you got to wonder, is E.T. the at least partially psychic or telepathic creature, mm-hmm. like, grooming her <laughs> in her, like, dreams? Uh, they never say. I mean, he can do things like that. 
uh, consciously, but it seems like he also does things like that unconsciously. So sure. giving him the benefit of the doubt, he's having wet dreams about the mom and they're just being sent to her because she's right there. So I don't know. But the, it was very sure. unnecessary. <laughs> very unnecessary. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't add to anyone's character. And it's just it's just bad. And it's I'm trying a to... classic <laughs> example of needless romantic subplot. You know, even yeah. though that's not even the su- this is the the plot in the book is like ET is like for a minute he's like maybe I don't even want to go home. Actually, I... <laughs> she's kind of got it going on, man. Right, and then he wants to go back. Oh, anyway, uh, I can't remember what year Earth Girls Are Easy came out, but I feel like there was a, a bit of a reference to that. Like all aliens want to fuck human ladies. It's just because they're just that hot. But yeah, to be fair, I mean, in Earth Girls Are Easy, if you shave those aliens, they turn into Jeff Goldblum. So at least there's like some symmetry. Sure, there's like some the anatomical <laughs> lineup happening here, yeah. as opposed to just whatever is happening. Like I don't know what ET expects to happen, right? Like yeah. what? Is, what does he think is gonna happen? What, I like, don't if, know. I don't know. I mean, I think maybe he it's about, all like, very how- like platonic and like the way ETs reproduce it. Like they don't even really they just dance in a gazebo and then <laughs> two months later or I guess ten well, million years later, there's a new ET. I can tell you that in the sequel, he oh, goes, when he goes home and he and he goes to his his parents' house, his dad's house. Um, they mentioned that ET was like kind of just like created by his father and that's so they just kind of make other beings individually without the need for a mate whenever they feel like it i guess is there a mom then no it's just a just the dad okay so parent case. House. so just a yeah just parent um so what is E.T. so i don't know do they fuck? i don't know <laughs> <laughs> um actually so oh, what is the I'm emotion sorry. that et is feeling here? i wasn't gonna i wasn't gonna bring this up but um, ETs do fuck. There is a there is a porn oh, version no. of ET. Oh, okay, well, I don't know if that's considered canonical, but I suppose if we're allowing expanded, <laughs> I mean, universe they material, never made a sequel, so any no, media true. is fair game. <laughs> but yeah, there was a porn version of ET, and in the porn version, ET is played by a woman in body paint and prosthetics. So I don't know. I, I to tell you, sure. I would just say I, don't you know Google what? it unless you want to <laughs> scream forever. Okay, sure. I'm. I'm. Don't think I'm going to do that. Actually, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'm fine it. over here, not knowing what, exactly what that looks like. <laughs> Say body I've seen paint. Horrors in my time. Body paint is just not a good choice for porno. Just put put that out there. Yeah. Okay. Well, I would say that that's like the main bad thing here. Yeah. And we, you know, we touched upon the the writing of Mary, uh, Elliot's mom, as a character just being a very like stereotypical idea of what some dude in the '80s thinks a single mom is like. Well, wow, she's just sitting here pining for a man the whole time. That's all she cares about. It can't conceivably be that she's done with relationships and she might have a fulfilling life outside of that. Yeah. Yeah, and she never does, and it's sad. Poor thing. Yeah. But, you know, again, like I said, I'm going to give this guy the benefit of the doubt. It's just she is written like a man assumes a woman thinks in the 80s before men started pretending to listen to women. So I, <laughs> he, he did his best. I've been tuned out this whole episode, Mary. Who are you? <laughs> I'll just start from the beginning. So anyway. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyway, that was the bad. 
yeah, do you, I mean, do you have anything to add in terms of things that you didn't love here? For me, it's really the MILF obsession, which, you know, on its own, I'm not going to get down on that on its own as a concept. Yep. It's just ET's MILF obsession. It, yeah, it makes I no sense and it's bad. Beef. Other bad things? Um, no, not so much. I mean, the fact that you're getting this perspective of ET where he isn't instantly drawn to these children and befriending them in his mind. It's just like, oh, God, you're here. You're You're my best chance, I guess. I'll do my best to get along with you. Um, that's a little that's a little weird, and, con- and considering the movie is basically all about this intergalactic friendship, it, it that makes it. I feel like that weakens it a little bit. Yes, but he's d- mom stuff aside, um, such a such a charming character to read about, and he's trying so hard, and he's really doing his best, and he's just a lost botanist. Makes yep. it sweeter and it also makes it more um heart-wrenching when he's left behind initially yeah which at the beginning is like yeah this happens because that's how the movie has to start but then you're like oh no (laughs) poor baby i would agree generally that like this is a pretty good novelization of a movie that adds something to you know especially if you like enjoyed the movie a lot and you want to you know experience a different side of it it's pretty Mm -hmm. good um, so this is kind of the final section of the show is called Can We Fix It? Where, like, if it was bad, do we have anything that we could alter? Even if it was pretty good, um, I think in this, I think the main tweak you could do is switch out the mom obsession with a food obsession. Yeah. I it mean, he already has the food ex- obsession. Right. So it's right Just there. Substi- yeah. Substitute that in and, like, he's, like, have him, like, eat a pizza and, like, lose his mind yeah. about it. <laughs> Like, right? Yeah. And, like, he can even then kind of, like, bond with Harvey the dog a little mm-hmm. bit more, which would be a kind of a cute, charming thing, although I don't want to reduce an intergalactic intelligence into being on the level of a dog. But I think, like, a new sensory experience <laughs> that only this planet can provide is a legitimate reason for, like, E.T. to feel even, like, conflicted about, do I even want to go yes. or not? Absolutely. Or And if you still wanted him to have some sort of, you know, interest or relationship with the mom you could just have it be like he thinks that she is sweet and nice and momly you know he could it doesn't have to be sexual and romantic it could just be she's cool she's such a good mom even though she's not like you know or whatever (laughs) there's many different ways this could have gone besides i want to put my whatever i have inside of her (laughs) (laughs) Or whatever the hell it is. That's again. That's why it's so know. confusing because, like, what is he expecting? What's what is going he on under there? Expect to happen. <laughs> we don't get a glance at his undercarriage, so it's never revealed. <laughs> that's fine. I'm cool with that. <laughs> we'll leave that for the ET porno. Yeah, yeah. Ufo porno. Okay. Um, well, that's about all I have to. All we have, hopefully, to, to say about this. Um, thank you, Mary, very much for joining us for this sort of special episode of just you and I, no Paris involved whatsoever. <laughs> I'm freewheeling out here. Um, and thank you for doing a lot of the legwork as well on those like fun facts and tidbits. Cause oh, no I, problem. Did, I didn't do that. It was fun. I was trying we, to relax. <laughs> we didn't even get into the Michael Jackson audiobook of ET, which isn't this book. It's mm-hmm. a different, shorter book. It's different. <laughs> it has music fun, too. Yeah. Only less than 40 minutes long. Produced by Quincy Jones. Oh, good. And also had to be pulled only like a week or so after it was released because it conflicted with the release of Thriller and there was a lawsuit. And so they had to pull the E.T. audiobook narrated by Michael Jackson. Lovely. I, I don't recommend 
like actually listening to this all it is for you on youtube <laughs> if you're curious but i do recommend at least googling the um cover art for it's this really good it's, it's really good it's oh it's it's et standing behind michael J jackson gently cradling his shoulders it's amazing it's amazing <laughs> Apparently, ET. You would think it would be like the other way around, right? You would, because like ET is much is very small. But you know what? I, whatever. Michael Jackson apparently loved ET, which I, you know what, that tracks with all the half known things that I know about Michael Jackson. <laughs> loves ET. Loves him. Yep. Makes total sense to me. Mm -hmm. um, another fun fact about novelizations, specifically novelizations of movies that have aliens in them, is the novelization of the movie Alien. <laughs> which the author of that particular novelization was not allowed to see any of the concept art. So he just had the screenplay <laughs> and the screenplay had stage directions like alien comes out of door hatch or whatever. No descript, no physical description whatsoever. So he kind of just had to wing it. And so, you know, not all authors are given all of the visual cues that this author was given when they're asked to adapt something like this. All right, Mary, um, this is the point where we thank our patrons for, you know, supplying the funds for our hosting and stuff like that. So thank you, patrons. Thank you to Greg, Veronica, Will, D, Jared, Arant, Senior, Jakub, Lycoris, Elliot, Kieran, Martin, Luchek, Miri, Yanka, David, Anya, Patricia, Tommy was oh ha, ha Donnie, Connor, Beast with the Least, Scott H, Robin, Laxtodes of the Void, the Taco Eating Unicorn, Last Man on Earth 01, Funny Robot with Antennas, Hobby Boy 93, Harry 7, Renee, Emmy, Joy Use, The Ugly One, and our newest patron, Bleached Black Cat. Welcome to the Terrible Book Club Fold. Hope you enjoy your time here. Thanks so much, everyone. All right, Mary, um, thank you again for joining us here on this extra special coming back from break episode of Terrible Book Club. Um, we hope to see you again here sometime soon. Please don't be left behind on an alien planet when you're just looking for plants or something. Just be careful about that. I, I will do my best. All right. Thank you, Mary, and goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Terrible Book Club. Terrible Book Club is an independent podcast produced by your hosts, Paris and Chris. Sound design and audio editing by Chris, with sound effects and music by Epidemic Sound and sometimes also Chris. Our theme song is Kiss by Yearn, which is, you guessed it, actually, also Chris. You can find more of his soothing synthy sounds on Bandcamp at yearn.bandcamp.com. Do you want us to review a book of your choice on the show? Do you want access to some extra audiovisual weirdness? If so, become a patron at patreon.com slash terriblebookclub. If you'd like to send us a one-time tip instead, you can do that at ko-fi.com slash terriblebookclub. You can also support TBC for free by sharing the show on social media, following our accounts on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Goodreads, telling your friends about your favorite episode, or by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or anywhere else on the internet. To send us book recommendations or your adorable pet photos, send an email to terriblebookclub at gmail.com.